I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Anne. Well, when we, we've been doing a sermon series on the body of Christ, what it means to be the body of Christ again, and when we thought of who could we have to round this sermon series off, there is no one better, no one better than John White. Uh, I don't know if you know John, some of you will, lots of you will. He is such a key person for us in this church. He speaks into lots of things, lots of different areas, and we're very privileged to have him in this church. So, John, would you come up? Uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. And... Um, let me just pray. Lord, thank you so much for John. We thank you for the gift that he is to us, for the way that he serves us in this family. And we bless him now and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through him. Help us to hear all that you want to say. Amen. Uh, right. <clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> I'm sometimes asked... Have you written any books? There's a confused look upon the questioner's face. There's book titles flitting across their mind's eye. Um, the fight. Uh, parents in pain. Prayer. Who am I? After ordination, I was served, um, I served my curacy in a church in Birmingham. Uh, the church had um, a large student ministry, so I spent a lot of my time with students. That meant uh, involvement, involvement with navigators, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ or Agape, lots of missions and talks and various things like this. And I can remember one particular uh, student house party that I was speaking on. Um, this was for a, um, a CU of a, a university that has a massive reputation for sporting excellence. Um, in, da in fact, uh, a number of national sports have their centres of excellence, their training bases, actually on the campus of this particular university. Um, African violet-coloured sportswear, reflecting the colours of the university, where the dress was the dress code for that weekend. Very fetching, highly intimidating. Um, and um, the, the, the Friday night went really quite well. Um, so did the Saturday, but it was still nevertheless incredibly difficult uh, for me because alongside these six foot five hulks, you know, I was just so unhealthy. I mean, uh, whereas when you go to most conferences and most workshops, uh, people break for coffee, there they broke for crunches. And um, I mean, can, I, can you just imagine it? it coffee or crunches? It, it's a no-brainer. It's always going to be coffee that wins. I mean, if they'd said crunchy bars, then I would have actually joined them. But the fact is, it was crunches or coffee, which is the challenge. 
Anyhow, on the Sunday morning, one of the students came up to me and, and said this. We thought we were getting the other John White. Now, the other John White was an author of many books. Actually, he went on to co-pastor a vineyard church in Vancouver with a guy called Ken Blue. I mean, can you imagine it? John White and Ken Blue pastoring a church? I mean, it's just fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I mean, it's great if you live in Hillsborough with Blue and White, but not so good if you prefer Bramall Lane. So here I am. I'm in this position where people come up to me and, and say, have you written any books? And I would say to them, I'm sorry, I haven't written any books. And then you would see, I'd see this uh, flash of disappointment across their face. And, you know, I was really quite sorry for them, you see. So I would actually say to them, look, I'm desperately sorry that I'm not the John White you were expecting. But if it helps you, and you've got a copy of one of his books, I'll sign him PP on his behalf. <laughs> Smiles all round, confusion over and done. And despite the individualism of our age, we still define ourselves by belonging. You know, we belong to a family. We belong to a nation that actually, in a sense, uh, expresses and defines our nationality. Um, we belong or have, we support football clubs who are, by their nature, often very tribal. And then, of course, there are all the, the social media tribes. So Facebook, which will say, um, you know, join the community, join the conversation. Or tick the liking and be liked type of expectations that come with Facebook. Or Instagram, which says, just look what I'm eating at the moment, or just where, I, where am I at the present moment. Or even Snapchat, which will say, live to the moment, in the moment. When we were growing up, uh, when the children were growing up, we used to have our holidays in France. And I, I used to be teased cruelly and unmercifully by the children. You see, the problem with me is that I'm not very confident with languages. I'm okay with English and tongues, but that's as far as I can go. And so there'll be times when we, we, would, we would head off to the bakers, and I think it's about time I showed that I could go just beyond Commonsera and actually try and order some baguettes for the day, or even later, even a croque monsieur. But the problem is I would always panic and end up speaking it in English, to which the children behind me will be just killing themselves laughing. Now, I came across this week a proverb in a foreign language. You'll be pleased, and I'm massively pleased, that I'm not going to speak to you in the foreign language, because it's Koza. Now, Koza should be me going, <coughs> clicking as I speak, but I can't do it simultaneously, because I can't click and speak. It's one of the national languages of South Africa, and they have this amazing ability to click at the back of their throats, and their mouth, roof of the mouth, and the front. But this is a, a, a proverb that I found in English. God. And it was a person is a person through persons. A person is a person through persons. A community of persons that defines and gives an individual her or his 
identity. And you see, community is at the very heart of God, at the very heart of the Godhead. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, from all time, the Father's identity has been the fact that he is the Father of the Eternal Son because Jesus has been the Eternal Son from all beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There never has been a time when Jesus was not the Eternal Son, and there's never been a time when God hasn't been the Eternal Father. And one of the amazing privileges that God gives us, the very moment we become Christians, is the privilege of adoption. The moment our sins are forgiven, we are then automatically members of his family. And as a consequence of that, things flow. So, for example, you know, we can know God as Father. We're living with God as our Father. Uh, We're living with others. We're living with Jesus as our elder brother. And, of course, we're living as heirs. It's community. It's family. In Christ, I am. But it's true also to say, in Christ, we are. In Christ, we are. And community is so, so important um, throughout the Bible. It was not good that Adam was by himself. And then you look at the amazing covenants that God made with Noah and with Abraham to see that it's beyond the individual to the nations, to the peoples of the world. It is about community. And the Bible is a story of God calling a people to himself who would live under his rule and blessing. And Jesus' final commission at the end of Matthew 28 speaks of that community of witness of faith. And then even at Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. The church was born in a communal context. This is always going to be um, the reality that it's, that it's the reconciliation that we have as individuals with God, but in the context of a community and the context of a community. Now today is the last series, sermon on this series on the body of Christ. So let's have a little recap of what's gone before. And I suppose two things that were sort of behind those sermons. Um, what is the role of the church? And secondly, what is the church for? And so we heard in these previous weeks um, how we're centered on Jesus how we come together to worship him. It is all about him. Um, That we operate as a family, that we have parts to play and, in a sense, are expected to play our parts. Uh, The place um, of challenge and acceptance within the church. It's a place of discipleship, uh, that everyone's on a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that we have a, a narrative that is going to challenge the world. The foundation is, of course, Jesus, the cornerstone. Um, There was that phrase that we are a family, not a business. Um, All mucking in, Mike. All mucking in. Um, That we are, we're not the kingdom, but we're pointing to the kingdom pointing to the kingdom, 
We are a city on a, a hill that actually is showing to the surrounding city that God's kingdom is here, but actually part of the way that it's going to advance and, and, and grow. So let me just add um, just a few points, a few further thoughts to what's gone before. So if you've got uh, Ephesians chapter 4 with you, or open, if the Bible with you, if you'd like to just turn to it, um, that'd be helpful. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope and Belong, uh, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. You've heard it said that in those first three chapters of Paul's letter to, to the Ephesians, is that Paul is laying down profoundly true doctrinal statements this is doctrinal foundations for the church those three chapters at the beginning particularly glorify the the importance of Jesus Christ and then we've been told that chapters four to six are the application of the truths that have gone before in those previous three chapters you know it's interesting that if you actually look through this letter there are 40 imperatives in the letter 40 to do this you must do this you do this or do this there are 40 imperatives in the whole of that letter what I find extraordinary is that Paul has only one imperative in those first three chapters on doctrine it's found in chapter 2 it's verse 11 it's the word remember and there are 39 imperatives that appear in all the application chapters of 4, 5, and 6. Isn't that amazing that actually the language tells us that actually it is all application that follows because Paul's using all those imperatives, but less of that. Verse 1. We have here the call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, you have been called. It's, it's a metaphor. It's an image for how we live our lives as Christians, living in a manner worthy of our calling. And I find it fascinating that Paul is saying here that our behavior always follows being born again, that our conduct always follows after our calling. In fact, Paul's letter to the Philippians is a letter which is simply about how our conduct will commend Christ to others. So, for example, you know, our love, our love for each other reveals the invisible God. 
So Jesus himself said in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how are we to live our lives within the family that we are members of, that we've been called to, the body of Christ? Well, Paul says in verse 2, with gentleness and humility, with patience, with bearing one another in, in love. He begins with humility because the very opposite of humility is, of course, pride. And pride destroys families. Pride destroys communities. Pride is the very thing that actually destroys relationships. Gentleness, of course, is that amazing thing that we can show others who've messed up. And we can say how much God loves them. God is a God of the second chance, if you like. That gentleness is the opportunity where we can encourage those who have fallen, who are struggling. And that we welcome them and hold on to them and don't let them go. A patience, of course, is, is a fruit of the Spirit. But also we're reading in Romans chapter 2 that it is God's patience that leads us to repentance. So patience is pretty important. And for some of us, it's a major challenge. And bearing one another in love. You know, that's not tolerating one another. The key phrase there, or key word there, is love. That we all have our weaknesses, and therefore we lovingly tolerate, lovingly bear one another up. Leonard Bernstein, who, um, he has died, but he was um, conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra for many years. And he was once asked to name the most difficult instrument to play. And his response, without any hesitation, was the second fiddle. He says, I can get plenty of first violinists. But to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. And then in verse 3, back to our reading, Paul says, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's a sense of urgency there. A sense of urgency. And I find it amazing that what he says here, well, what he doesn't say is create unity. He says maintain it. You see, unity does not come and we strive to be in unity. We receive unity because we're already in the body of Christ. We're already members of the body of Christ. We already have the spirit living within us. And so the call is to maintain it, not create it. And then he comes in verse 4 to say, one body. One body. Because for him, for Paul, it is so important about the body of Christ. You see, the gospel is never just a personal experience. It's never just a personal matter. It always has a social dimension. It is always a communal affair. The moment we invite Jesus into our lives, and what excites me is that I'm just about to have my 40th anniversary that's not our wedding anniversary, by the way. It's my 40th anniversary that I asked Jesus into my life. 
that we ask him into our lives. We, we, we confess to him and he's, he's our Lord and Saviour and we're filled with his spirit. His spirit lives in and through us. And at that moment, we become a member of the body of Christ. You're saved individually. Sin's penalty paid. Sin's power purged. A member of the body of Christ. And perhaps in this age of individualism, it's good to remind ourselves that that we belong to the body of Christ. Personally, individually reconciled to God, but saved into the body of Christ. And how can we develop this sense of community, this belonging in the body of Christ, whereby we can wrestle together with the challenges, the pains, the hurts, the disappointments of our lives together? How can we be more effective in in that mission to which God has called us? And in these previous sermons, we've heard that the imagery of the body of Christ is about Jesus being the head and it's about unity and diversity within the church. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You see, we find the body wherever, wherever the spirit is. We find the body wherever Jesus is through his spirit. And then, as part of this unity, Paul, in verse 4, goes on to talk about one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, I sometimes think, when I reflect on this, that we can, at times, feel overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy and guilt when we're told that we are members of the body of Christ, that we should do this or we should do that or we this, that and the other. Um, we, we, we end up perhaps feeling insecure or we make false comparisons. But instead of the oughts to, ought to do this or ought to be like that, This morning I want to speak about opportunities, opportunities that the body brings. Barack Obama, um, an amazing speaker and orator, and he said this, this little remark, and I'm just going to just read it to you. Now as a nation, we don't promise equal outcomes. But we were founded on the idea that everybody should have an equal opportunity to succeed. No matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, you can make it. Now he's speaking in the American context. Please forgive me if I just make one change to what he said. I'm going to replace the word nation with the word church. Now, as a church, we don't promise equal outcomes, but we are founded on the idea that everybody should have an equal opportunity to succeed. No matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, you can make it. You can make it. I've been 
a church leader for a number of years and been around churches a long time, but what I've seen on times in the past, how the enemy seeks to sow disunity and discontent by sowing doubts over who we are, about our identity, about our security, and so often what God has called us to do. You know, we feel intimidated. We, we compare ourselves. Um, we feel rejected. You know, where am I? You know, why am I here? Paul, uh, later on in this chapter 4, in verse 16, says this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part, every part. And and church life is about how we can learn to be secure in what God has called us to be to value and to love each person within the body. And God has given the body his gifts. They're gifts of grace that can't be bought by efforts or merit. They're gifts for service, not status. They are all about God working, not we working them up. And so I was thinking to myself, God, what are the opportunities that you can give us to make disciples, to make life better? And yes, those previous sermons have talked about, it's about being you know, a member of the body of Christ, it's about being centered on Jesus, about being operated as a fam- operating as a family, about acceptance, about challenge, about discipleship, about a journey together. It's about living a kingdom lifestyle that will challenge the lifestyles, the narratives of the world and communities that we live amongst. But I want to say to you today that actually being a member of the body of Christ is about opportunity and opportunities to know Jesus more together. To spend time with each other knowing more about Jesus. That we can do that through obviously things like baptism and communion. But here's an opportunity that together we have the opportunity to know him more. To grow more like him. Here is the opportunity to live in unity. And to encourage the gifts. To encourage the diversity that God has given us the body here in, um, for us, to him, to glorify him and for the church to grow, to bless and to encourage one another. It is an opportunity to be something bigger, to be part of something bigger than oneself. And for me, that's so exciting that the body of Christ gives me, gives you, gives us, gives all of us an opportunity to be something bigger than ourselves. In a world that is so insular and so selfish and so 
individualistic. Here, we are being part of a body that is so much bigger. And that is really exciting. It's an opportunity to love and to be loved. It's an opportunity to show and to share love, to be compassionate, to serve each other, to serve our community, to serve our city. It's about encouraging one another. It's about encouraging one another. There's that little verse in Hebrews, you may be familiar with it, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 13. It says this, but exhort, encourage, one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How we can encourage one another today, whilst it is still today. That Koza proverb, a person is a person through persons. Perhaps we can change it slightly, or I can change it slightly. A Christian is a Christian through the body of Christ. A Christian is a Christian through the body of Christ. Because what I think and what I, what I sense in my spirit that God grieves over fractured and fractious communities. That he grieves over fractured cities and fractured nations. That he grieves over the fractiousness that people live their lives by and in. And that the body of Christ is his only plan, his only plan to put right these things, to stand as a witness in broken communities. Because when we live together in unity, in diversity, we love one another. That is very powerful because straight away we start to see where there's been fractured relationships have been supernaturally mended. Neither Jew nor Gentile coming together because they're part of the body of Christ. And unity is so important to God. Unity in diversity is God's mission impossible. It's a unity which the Spirit creates. It's not achieved by striving or struggling. We are to maintain it. But we are responsible to keep it. So unity and diversity is so, so important to God. And he's made it possible for the irreconcilable to be united in one body. And that's why Paul says it's so important that we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So I'm coming to a close. Who am I? Who are you? Well, I'm a son of the Father. I'm a daughter of the Father. That my identity, my security lies in the fact that I have been reconciled to the Father. I've been incorporated into the family. I'm a member of the body of Christ. 
one body, one spirit. And what I'd like us to do is I'm just going to just, sort of just, just, um, just ask a, a few questions. And it's maybe an opportunity for you to, to respond, for us to respond in a way that perhaps can help us press in further into what God has for us as his body here. Maybe you, I, we feel that we've actually missed opportunities to serve God. That somehow, in the scheme of things, we've allowed those opportunities to pass us by. The great thing about the gospel is this. God is always, always the the God of the second chance. There's never a wasted opportunity. There will always be another opportunity. I I can remember once, uh, I used to spend some time often um, leading Bible studies for for really, some really lovely, lovely men and women. Basically, the youngest was about 80. And we used to have fantastic times together. What I found absolutely amazing was that one of them, she was a lovely lady, 92, had this time of Bible study with her. At the end of it, gives her life to Jesus, and she dies two days later. And it's seen as there's never, never, there's always another chance, there's always another opportunity. And that is so exciting. So maybe here this morning, what God is saying to you is, don't live in the regret of the past. There's still another opportunity that he's going to call you to. And he's saying to you, if you say to me, here I am, he'll bless you and release you and encourage you to step out more into that opportunity that's perhaps you walked past so many times but actually haven't had the courage or been frightened or whatever. Today is a day where you can take that opportunity again. Maybe you've questioned about whether, what is my part here? What, what do I have to offer? How do I offer to bless, to encourage, to build up the body of Christ? Well, maybe here's an opportunity for God to say to you, yes, I have given you gifts. This is what I've given you. So step out, take hold of those gifts, and be prepared to offer those gifts, what he's given you, for the benefit of the body here. And maybe... um, you perhaps some may have been on the edge of things for too long. You've just been looking on. You just feel that well, it's all right for other people, but I'm happy where I am on the edge. It's not too costly. It's quite cosy, but not too costly. Maybe today God is actually saying, well, come in from the edge. You know, one of the things about um, the church today and about the place of the church in society is this. That the church is being marginalised in public debate, in public life. Throughout the West, it's being marginalised. Is that a good thing? Well, it may well be. Because in the Roman Empire, the church, as it started, began with the marginalised began with those on the outside and then came in 
So maybe in the marginalization that you feel or experience with others, or the fact you feel yourself that God's going to reach out to you today to bring you into himself, to say, together we can do things. Together you have a place and a part to play in my body. Missed opportunities. God says, there's more to come. Well, what are my gifts? What are my opportunities to serve? They're here. They're there. Grasp them. I'm on the edge. God's saying, come in. Come in. And you can be used and filled. Let's stand. Got some musicians just to play, um, but I, I, I just want to, I'm just going to invite the Spirit of God to come, and I just want to encourage you to come forward, um, to encourage you to take this moment, to grasp this moment. This is a moment in time. It's a moment to grasp. It's a time for you and for God. It's a time to, to, to recognize that actually, you know, you are so special. We are so special. It's a time to grasp um, his call, his gifting. It's a moment to, to say, yes, I want to accept and grasp and take all the opportunities that God has given me and will give me. So if that's you, I would like to invite you to come forward and we will pray for you. The, the, the ministry team will pray, but I want to encourage us just to really engage with God, engage with him as he speaks to us, to encourage us and bless us and to show us um, show us opportunities that we are part of something so much bigger that we can learn together we can do things together that is so important so let's just worship but I want to invite you to come forward as the musicians pray and play <laughs>